Hello and welcome back to Talking Flutes meets Talking Flutes Extra. My name is Jean-Paul Wright, the flutely tooty bloke who does Talking Flutes Extra, and I'm joined once again at a lovely abode by Claire. Thanks for inviting me down again. You know, before I start, can I just say I'm really impressed at the colour of your fruit in the bowl behind you. Are you? They oh. look so perfect and clean. Yeah, and not eaten. <laughs> That's a huge great bowl. <laughs> I mean, it's like a bucket full of fruit. I take it you regard vitamin C as a, an important part of your... Well, I love my fruit. love my fruit and love my vegetables. Ah, so we're learning more from you. <laughs> Claire, the reason I've come down and the reason we, we are still doing this um, joint podcast is to answer some questions from younger players, younger, younger audiences that have come in. Because I know that you consider the very much... Uh, important part of your podcast is working for and giving information to established players but also those that are teaching and those that are coming up through the college system but also you're very keen that you don't miss out on the younger audience so I'd like to throw some questions at you and see where they take us okay right first one and in fact I think the first and second one come together because it's to do with double tonguing and then triple tonguing and the question is, can you break double tongue in down into the various types as my teacher has confused me? And then on the triple tonguing is, can you do the same for triple tonguing as I haven't the foggiest what I'm doing? Because my friend who's a trumpet player plays it very differently. Okay. <laughs> well, this is, this is it's quite a big topic, John Paul. So, you know, yes, we can break double tongue down, single tongue and triple tongue, we can talk in depth about it, but I wonder whether that might be better in a in a, a, a separate podcast, which would be more helpful. Yeah, well, I suppose rather than glossing over and saying, yeah, you go tuck a turtle, dug a doe or whatever. It's, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I, I promise to do that maybe in the next podcast. Um, I'll, I'll do, a, do one purely on articulation. Because there are different types, aren't they? Different types of... Many, many different types. types. Many different techniques, many ways, lots of ways to practice, and essential because how we articulate makes the music clear, ah, just see. as in speech. So on the triple tongue, for example, it, that would depend on where the emphasis, potential emphasis of that three-note passage would be, wouldn't it? Whether you go tukato or kukato or whatever it is. Can be. Oh, it's always confusing. Now you're getting anyway. complicated. Yeah, well, it confuses me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a par- paradiddle on a drum. A singer uses a mixture of vowels and consonants, but a flute player uses a mixture of vowels and articulations. So articulation is key, and we'll talk about it separately. Yeah, I would agree with you. Do a totally separate one dedicated on the subject of double and triple tonguing for people. Moving on. One question that has come from a Stacey in... I'm trying to work this out. Somewhere in Gloucester. I can't read my own writing here, Claire, but... Uh, she asked, what are your favourite non-flute pieces? Because I think the assumption is you only listen to flute playing. <laughs> Actually, I very rarely listen to flute playing. And I listen mostly to other music. But favourite pieces are so difficult because I love so many pieces. All I can say is that during, during the last year, the piece that, that has really sort of got my attention is for cello and orchestra or cello and piano. And that's Foray's Elegy. And it's, it has a most beautiful melody, and it works very well on flute. Uh, do you listen to anything on sort of in any light, light type of music? 
oh yes loads yes whatever's there uh, you know it's it's if it's a beautiful tunes exciting music whatever it is I, I like all music I've always liked all music I don't like to sort of pigeonhole myself as being listening to, to sort of one sort well, I know that you've got an Alexa machine in the corner, so do you shout at it and say, play me something from Cats or play me something from Eminem or play me some R&B? Or... I do, all the time, yep. And it's, it's great because you can suddenly think, oh, I remember I used to love such such a piece, and you can hear it instantly. Ah, so you just shout at it and say... I shout at it, yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there... Um... One piece of music that gives you goosebumps. Now, I know it's a weird question because goosebumps is something that you've got to be emotionally in the moment to feel it. You know, for me, it could be E.T. right at the very end where where it goes home. And that music with the rising cellos. But is is there one piece that gives you goosebumps? Yeah, I mean, I get goosebumps, I suppose, quite quite a lot. You know, it could be some some performance or, or it could just be a few bars of something yeah. but the one piece is by Marcello it's an adagio from the oboe concerto in D minor I don't know this one well I first heard this played on saxophone played by Rob Buckland oh, who's <laughs> professor at the Royal Northern College of Music and he played this as an encore and I was just blown away it was the most incredible piece of music, and he very kindly sent me a sent me a copy of it later on. So I said I just I had to play it. Okay, um, I'm going to challenge you now. Can you find it on your um, your MacBook? I can find it, and I, I actually it doesn't say who's playing it, but let's have a little let's have a little listen. Pieces like this that just sort of grab your attention, but that one in particular. And, well, I know this is a flute podcast, but it's when you hear a flute player that actually gives you goosebumps, then you know that you've connected, haven't you? You've connected that some, something has happened. Yep. You play on a solid platinum tube flute with 14 karat gold mechanism. Now, I don't think there's many more valuable flutes around than that is there because that is a really expensive mix it's a very expensive mix what did you play before and then why did you change that's a very open question I know and that's coming from one of our listeners 
It is. The, my previous flute was an Almeida body mm-hmm. with a Louis Lott head joint. And I played that for many years. I bought that flute off William Bennett because it was a... It was, Almeida made it for, for William Bennett many years ago. Open G sharp, which, which I played. And this was a flute that I had great connection with because many years ago when I, I won through to the final of the National Flute Association Young Artist Competition, Wib told me I needed a better flute and he lent me he lent me a flute and it was this Almeida flute. He told me it wasn't for sale and it was many years later that he said, actually I'm, I'm selling this flute now, are you interested? So I said, <laughs> oh yes please. So it was a beautiful, beautiful flute, beautifully made and kept me going for many, many, many years. But in those intervening years, there'd been many advances in flute making. I'd, I would always go, I went to a lot of the, the big flute conventions, especially in the States, and I would always go around the, the various stands and play, play lots of flutes. And um, Miyazawa started to be making an impact on me. I, I would be playing and think, this is, you know, they're really starting to sound so good. And I kept coming back to, to Miyazawa and was, was getting really quite, quite interested. So there's lots of brands after you at that time. Yes, yes. I mean, there were, there, there, you could have played, there were so many flutes you could play. You know, when I first came out of college, there were very few play, flutes that you could play. And sort of many, many years later, with all the advances in technology, and, and there were so many brands that, you know... I could pick up so many flutes and it would, they would all be very exciting. You know, I was like a kid in a sweet shop. Because the UK, I just have to let, let, let our listeners know this, is that gold isn't, hasn't really been a thing with flute playing, has it, over here? No, no, not, not at all. And it's, it's becoming more so. But in a way, I mean, gold can be a little bit restrictive. It's, it sounds very, very beautiful. It can be a little bit restrictive in what it sort of maybe allows you to do. But going back to, to the Miyazawa flute, mm. the, the, the first one I, I, I got from Miyazawa was a solid silver flute. And it was really, it was a glorious flute and it worked. I realised that Malmeda wasn't working so well <laughs> when I got a, 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 a more modern flute. But it had the broken me- mechanism, didn't it? And so, it had the, the yeah. broken mechanism. So, super. Actually, no, the first one didn't have the Brugger system. Oh. No, it was, it was before Brugger, oh. many years before Brugger. But it was a, a beautiful, beautiful flute, and I was I was extremely happy with that. Did lots of recordings on it, so great, great, great instrument. And then a, a few years later, my great buddy Moshe Epstein. Oh yes, um, German flute professor. Yes, I'd always talked to him about my wonderful Miyazawa flute, and he rang me up one day and said, "I've just bought a Miyazawa flute." I said, "Oh, have you?" He said, "Yes." but it's platinum. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you have to have one. Well, of course, you know, it's, there's, it's, there's a lot more money involved. But I said, OK, Moshe, maybe not just at the moment, but, you know, you know, thanks for telling me. He said, just go and try one, go and try one. It was only a few months later, I was on tour in Japan and I was visiting the Miyazawa factory. And would you believe it, Moshe had sent his flute for repair or for, for a, an overhaul. And they said, oh, here is Mr. Epstein's flute. You should try it. And I said, I would love to try it. And it was just stunning. It had such, such depth of sound and such 
power, but control power. And you could play it incredibly softly or incredibly loudly. You could change the colour so easily. And the high register was just beautiful. It would just pop out. It was easy. So... I know you worked very closely with Yamamoto Masashi, the lovely legend that yes, it was Yamamoto. Yes, yes. And, and I remember when I played, when I was there at that particular time, I, I played a gold flute and they said to me, that is sounding very good, maybe you should be getting a gold flute. And I, and I said, I know it sounds absolutely beautiful, but my heart's set on platinum because I feel it does so much more for me. There's so much more I can discover on a platinum than I could explore for me, on a gold flute. And they cut the hedge on it specially for you, didn't they? Yes, yes. Although it was trial and error. I think I've gone through maybe three or, fl- three oh. or four head joints before I got the one that I ha- now have. And interesting, when I arrived today, Claire was telling me about... She'd been listening back to some of her old pods and her old recordings. And you were talking to me about how different your sound is now compared to when you're on the Almeida and how yes. you almost don't recognise the player. No, I don't. I, I, I mean, whether anyone else notices or not, I don't know, but um, I had a recording from 20 years ago and it, it sounds completely different. But that just could be development. You know, we all develop with age and things change and your ideas change and you, you alter how you play. I, I mean, when I first came out of of music college I was completely different to the player I was 10 years after music college so it could just be development maturity I do not I don't know because because you played one of those recordings to me and it was absolutely stunning and yet I wouldn't have known you weren't on your platinum because you didn't tell me I think I think there's the there's so much to discover with silver before you go anywhere else or before you, be, before you try anything, silver is, is so flexible. I mean, I had a trouble often when I was travelling because in, in some countries they think maybe you're not as good as you should be because you're not playing yeah. a gold flute, which I found really strange. I mean, you've got to find the flute that, that suits you. And it, it wasn't until years later I said that I came across the platinum and, and thought that's, that's for me. And I've, you know, I'm, I'm delighted I, I went with my platinum flute. It's beautiful. Any reason on the 14K mechanism? It was just pretty. <laughs> it was very, very pretty. So, yes. <laughs> Is it Open G Sharp as well? Open G Sharp, yes. Now, I, we, yeah, this could another separate podcast, isn't it? Open G Sharp. Original Bohm system. There are many top professional flute players who play Open G Sharp. It mashes the brain, though. I know it, 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 it makes sense. It's totally logical. It doesn't do anything to the brain at all. It's totally <laughs> logical. Just and it's, it's just yours. And it, you know, it just takes a little bit of thought just at the start. But it's, it's, it's logical and it's, it, it works better. Yeah, but nobody makes OMG sharps anymore, do they? Yes, you do. Yeah, we've made a few prototypes, <laughs> haven't we? And I took it to the NFA and people found it fascinating... But that's where they said, well, I don't know if our teacher would be able to teach me on it. Well, there's, it's only one finger. So it's no problem teaching it. It's just the, just the little finger on the left hand. Yeah. Uh, when yours is up, mine's down. When mine's down, yours, up. <laughs> yours is up. Simple. It does make a lot of sense. But when I think about it, if I'm trying to play quickly, it, my brain just... Well, well of course it will at the moment. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take any time at all. 
So moving on to the word professional, which I would probably regard as a question is, uh, is it possible to be a professional player without a really expensive flute? Now, I suppose that word professional is making your living. Um, the aim of the question is, can you make a living without a really expensive instrument? Well, you're then sort of assuming that expensive means professional. Absolutely. And it's, it's all to do with the maker. And expense comes with the quality of the metal. But it's, it's the maker and the care and the craftsmanship, which I've talked before mm. in a previous podcast. You look at the, the, um, the recording I did for the Kickstart Flutes sure. uh, duets, which I did on the... The bog standard 10X, yeah. Trevor James 10X flute. And I had to practice it, yes, but I can play it. Uh, and it's, it, it makes beautiful sounds and works. So, it, no, you don't. You can be a professional player on a non-expensive flute. I mean, when I first went to college, I had a a, a, a very old, wonky Yamaha. Didn't really work very well at all, but so, it got got me into college. So, you, yeah, you, you started this. The assumption is really is the flute that's doing the work for you, and that's sort of uh, it's unfair on the musician that if they are that you're judging them if they've got a, a yellow coloured instrument that yes. they are. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. But that's the flute world. Because have you noticed at conventions that, uh, or when you do a concert, when you put your fl- flute down, people come and look at the name on the flute. Yes. But it's you that's made the music. Yes. Yeah. Very unfair. <laughs> really, really, really unfair. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, the flute doesn't make the player, but the flute will help yeah. the player. Yeah. Um, so yes. it's just a case of... You develop. Yeah, developmental. You know, and, and no... If, if there's if anyone listening who's playing on a, a cheap flute, that doesn't mean you're more inferior. It's what you do with that flute. Yeah, that's what's important. Absolutely. Yeah. And at flute conventions, when you hear really really good players playing students and step up instruments, they sound beautiful. Yeah, and and you, if you listen to, um, I was just thinking about um, Emmanuel Poet, who mm. who will always demonstrate on students' flutes. He sounds just as wonderful on all the students' flutes, as, as he does on his own. Julius Baker had the same yeah. technique. He would take your flutes and he would demonstrate. He sounded good on every flute. And Sir Jimmy, same oh, he thing. Play, he sounds brilliant on everything. He sounds brilliant on everything. You know, it's, 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 it's the person. The person produces the sound. And I think that is a perfect place to end this podcast. The person produces the sound. Yes, Claire, thank you once again. You're very welcome. What are you doing for Christmas? Um, I've no idea yet. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you started shopping? Uh, no. No, no, I haven't. Uh, I like to think of Christmas closer to Christmas. Oh, right. But, you know, if any listeners have ideas for future podcasts, then they just need to contact us. Podcasts at gmail.com. That's correct, or via many of our social media channels. And I must remember, we're on Spotify. We are on Spotify. I forgot to mention it a few weeks ago, but yes, we're on Spotify. Talking Flutes on Spotify. Very exciting. But we're, we're happy to talk about anything mm-hmm. flute-related. Yep. Obviously, the sensible and the, uh, the real advice comes from Claire, and the... The laughy, jokey stuff comes from me. I'm just a light-hearted adjunct to your real podcast, Claire. So thank you for a wonderful year. Um, we've completely redesigned Talking Flutes in the podcast. And on behalf of the TJ Flutes, of which I'm managing director of, and also our viewers, I'd like to say thank you for coming in and 
adding decorum to the podcasts. Thanks very much, John Paul. I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed doing them. I hope the listeners have enjoyed listening to them and have found them useful and give them some ideas. Thanks very much. Thank you, Claire. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.